Hello, everyone, and I want to welcome you back to uh, Welcome to Crack Ribs, the podcast. I'm your host, George Saunders. Uh, I want to thank you for being, uh, for tuning in, for listening in. I thank you, thank uh, my supporters, the one, uh, those who text, who listen every week. Uh, and I, again, I'm, I, I'm always speechless. I'm honored to be able to even be able to do this. I, I appreciate the encouragement. Um, man, this has been an awesome journey. I don't even know what episode we're on. Uh, we're growing. The format is growing. Uh, we were listening to you. Um, and I'm just excited to be here. Uh, uh we're continuing with our live guests, uh, with our guest, uh, I have somebody in studio with me tonight. I'm gonna introduce him in a second. Um, but I normally start off with um, here's what uh, is on my mind uh, as of right now um, about um, there's a term I like to say. Sometimes it's hard to fall off the floor and sometimes life has a way of knocking us down, um, throwing us curveballs. We get disappointed. We we get hurt. We sometimes believe we're supposed to go in a, a direction only to find that it's a dead end. And sometimes it's hard. We, some people, some of us, we find it difficult to keep trying, to keep going, to keep pressing. Uh, some of us don't even try at all because we, we're afraid of failure and um, failure. I think sometimes fail failing is a part of life. And we mistakenly sometimes equate, Failing at something as failure. You heard me say before, failure, failing at something does not automatically equate to failure. Failure happens when you fail to learn anything, when you fail to glean anything from that um, experience. And I believe that I'm one who I believe that you have to be willing to embrace risk, to embrace um, the opportunity because yeah, there's an opportunity or there's a possibility that it may not work out. But there's also a possibility sometimes that it will work out. And I think sometimes some of us are uh, just afraid of succeeding as we are failing. So um, I have a special, uh, uh, I don't want to call him a guest. He's a, he's a friend uh, we go back way back to uh, Towson. He's a friend. He's my frat brother um, uh, to the, uh, I think, the only fraternity that matters. <laughs> uh, and that's uh, Phi Beta Sigma Incorporated. Blue give a good, good blue five. Um, I don't even, how would I describe my, my friend here? Um, uh we're going to go with Rod, with Absolutely. Rod Warmack. Uh, that's what we call him. I, he has a, a government name. But um, uh, Rod, just will we'll start by saying just hello to everybody out there. Um, introduce Absolutely, yourself. Man. So, yes, I'm, I'm Rod Womack, and you're right, George. We've known each other for a long, long time. I'm sitting here thinking probably about 25, 30 years. We've known each other a long time. We go back. Um, and so um, it, it's it's interesting because time flies. It don't even seem that long. It really doesn't. But that's how far we go We go back. And I'm, I'm first, thank you. 
for inviting me. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Um, I love what you're doing with the podcast, Crack Ribs. Um, that that name speaks volumes in and of itself. Thank you. Um, so thanks for being innovative and staying on uh, the uh, the edge of, of of enlightenment in terms of keeping us socially in, enlightened and um, keeping us informed. So I appreciate you so much, man. Man, I appreciate you. So um, I'm trying to find a word or to... Or the words, because I don't think there's any one word as far as the, to 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 give an accurate description of you. Uh, but everybody that I speak to when it comes to, we all agree with this. One thing about with this brother, and I'm so sometimes I may see you frequently and then there may be sometimes it's years have passed yeah, yeah. before I pass across or we're right. at the same event or whatever. But one thing is always consistent with you is that if I start with saying, man, how you doing? You are always working on something, something right? a project, a mm-hmm. deal, an idea. And I, I admire that because <clears throat> you, you all, the positivity that yeah. you always project. I've never heard you say, man, woe is me. And I believe that attitude plays a role in success, in our failures, in our healing, in our ability to overcome. Um, and so I, I, you, you, you've had multiple, you have, you, you have multiple titles. You've been a restaurant owner. Uh, yeah. you, you're a business owner, you're a developer, you do house. I think you were refurbishing houses. I won't call it flipping cause that sounds the cheap in it, yeah. but you, but, and multiple things. I, every time I talk to you like, Hey man, I'm working on this deal. I'm for, not all of them yeah. work out, yeah. but even when they fall or fail and you don't even talk about it, you're like, Hey, that's in the rearview mirror. I'm right. moving on to the next thing. Right. So for somebody out there that is wrestling, right. that who have, who may be feeling down, who may have suffered loss, defeat, or have failed. Mm-hmm. Not the, you're not a failure, but who have failed at something. Yeah. What would you tell them? Well, I'm going to say that's a good question. And it's a good question because, um, you know, a lot of people wrestle with um, failure. They wrestle with fear, the fear of failure. So mm-hmm. not only do they wrestle with the idea of just failing in and of itself, but the fear of failing is what stagnates a lot of people in life, man. That's what I find. So one thing I'm going to say is this. Um, I would encourage any and everybody to find something that they're passionate about first and foremost. Okay. People talk about passion. They talk about, you know, it in, in, in ways, you know, sometimes subtle and sometimes not so subtle. But I'm telling you that I feel like one of the best ways to prevent yourself from, from, from being afraid of failing or failing miserably is to first find something in life that you're passionate about. So even if you fall, it's okay. Because you still love what you're doing. Even if you don't fully succeed at it at the moment, 
It might take time to succeed. It's a different experience when you love what you're doing. So the first thing is to find something you're passionate about. And for me, my journey, personal journey, is that, I, and this is going to probably surprise you. I'm going to say something to you that's going to surprise <laughs> you. I, I am one of those people who actually didn't pursue the thing that I was most passionate about in life. So that many of the experiences, and, and, and especially around businesses, were kind of, you know, secondary. Like, they, they, they happened. I've had successes. I've had failures. And we're going to talk a little bit about both because they're equally important. Mm. Successes are not more important than failures. Failures are just as important as successes. But my passion in life, guess what it was? Right. Acting. Oh, wow. Okay. I acted from being, you know, in the, I think my first play I was a lead in was Scrooge. Uh, in the Christmas Carol, I was in the <laughs> fifth grade, and I got that role because the vice principal said, "Every time I turn around, you talking and in trouble in class, and I want to get you to." He says, "I need, I, I'm, I need to get you in something, and I want you in theater." And man, it was something that happened that was a wonderful thing for me, and I started acting in, in a lot of plays and stuff. Anyway, by the time I got to high school, I did not pursue something I was passionate about because. I think fear was more the, the, the driver for the reason why I didn't pursue it. Now, that said, I was able to go into some other areas that I also found some passion about. Uh, wow. And now, <laughs> um, uh, uh, that, now, you said we've known each other since we go back to the 80s. That's right. And I, it took me, it took me 20 some years. Mm hmm. To find out that you were uh, in Scrooge, <laughs> right? Yeah. I can't remember you. Um, and so, man, I had to invite you on the show, right? Uh, to find out that you yeah. had a passion for acting, right? Uh, man, it's a smart. We, you know what? It's it's funny that we just stuff that we don't know, right? We can hang around people, and you know, we were. I was so crack ribs. Uh, part of my thing was, you know helping men to, you know, the struggle with identifying uh, how they feel mm -hmm. and probably acting. I don't know if that was a masculine thing, but man, that is, that's amazing. Um, so let's go back to um, uh, one of your ventures. Mm -hmm. uh, let's go back to the Redwood Grill. Absolutely. The Redwood Grill. And speaking of actors, mm -hmm. uh, one of the people you came across was, Will Smith, whose name has been in the paper absolutely ridiculously a yeah. lot for maybe the wrong reason. Yeah. But you said that, you know, when we, uh, you said you had a Will Smith story. So, yeah. so tell me. Well, an tell experience me, for sure. Yeah, and Well, tell me about your experience okay. with Will. Well, first, for those listeners who might not know, um, you know, me, myself, um, uh, Edwin Avent and, um, Cleveland Jared, who's also one of our frat brothers, we own the Redwood Grill. It was it was a very hot spot that was happening downtown Baltimore on Calvert Street, and um, a lot of who's who got you know came, came through the uh, to the grill. They were attracted to the restaurant and to the environment um, of, of of the restaurant. Um, it was just a happening spot. That said, um, I have a friend uh, Jack Gerbis who was then, I think, the 
deputy director of the Maryland Film Office. He's now the director of the Maryland Film Office, but he gave me a call one day and said, listen, Gene Hackman is in town filming this movie with Will Smith, Enemy of the State, and Gene is a huge uh, a boxing fan. He wants a place to do a, a, a just to show the fight with just him and some friends and, and a group of friends and family. And he wants, you know, can he use your spot? They're going to pay for it. I'm like, well, of course. He's Gene Hackman. Okay. I love Gene Hackman. I was a Hackman fan. So um, that's a long story. It's in the book, Redwood. Yeah. You know, I, I talk about it in more detail because that's a fascinating story how we put it together. We had no cable. This is in the 80s. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. This is in the 90s. So this is in the 90s before Baltimore City got cable and satellite. Like it, only a couple of buildings had satellite. Now we're going to show a fight without cable or satellite. Okay, so we were able to put it together. Let's just put it that way. The day of the fight, we got our signal. So that's what happened. Wow. Gene Hackman comes. I didn't know. We didn't know that he was going to invite Will Smith. Will Smith, Drew Hill, because Drew Hill and Will Smith did a song for the movie. Or did a song for Wild Wild West. I'm sorry. Did a song for Wild Wild West. Mm. Their movie. Okay. So they were all there. So I'm here in the restaurant. The partners, Will Smith, Gene Hackman, Drew Hill, you know, and some of their close friends. Um, the fight comes on. It's great. Everything goes well. Maybe I'd say a month or two later, we get another call, and it's from Will's right hand, Charlie Mack. And uh, if you if you remember one of Will's first songs, Charlie Mack, the first one out the limo. That's his boy, okay? Big guy, like 6'6", six, six, okay? He was also his... Um, his, his, his sort of his bodyguard, he's his, you know, personal, like, they, they, they're boys. Yeah. So they call and say, look, Will and Jada get married, and they haven't even had time to do anything to celebrate it. We need to give them, like, do something for them to celebrate it. They want your spot to celebrate it. And wow. so I'm like, wow. So we put it together, and that was um, a, a sort of, a, I guess, a pre a pre-marriage party. They were already engaged. They were getting married the next day at the Cloisters. So they did this event at our restaurant that had all the who's who red carpet. And they didn't want it. They didn't want it publicized. It was private. So this was a private, you know, they didn't want us to talk to the media, man. The media found out we had entertainment tonight, Hollywood access, all of them. All of them were there, so that's 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 what happened. Wow, man, that is a that's an awesome story. Look, I just was, I was fronting back then because I would I would take my little date, like, hey, you know, I know my boy on this restaurant, uh-huh. and man, that was what you know, restaurant business was tough. tough. Tough, it's tough, tough business, business to be yeah. in. Uh, yeah. You have to be there, or people will rob you blind. Front from the front door and the back and door. the back door. Yeah. Yep, and uh, man, and then I you just I've forgot. You're a a published author, yeah. you know. Uh, tell me how the book came about. The book came about from the story. I mean, Redwood was a compelling story. First, you had three young African-American brothers who purchased a business that was owned by a white lawyer in a very, very, what we call Shea White downtown white cloth restaurant. It wasn't a black restaurant. They weren't, you know, so, so even the menu... We, we hid the fact that we were the owners for probably a month or two because we weren't sure how the, 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 um, the patrons, who were mostly white, would respond to us. So, but what we did was 
<clears throat> we 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 um built Redwood into way more than what it started off being just a um, more of a breakfast lunch spot. Um, they had no dinner. And so what we did was expand it to a dinner menu, bringing a new chef, expanded the menu, and Redwood was just a hit. Some, some, some Friday and Saturday nights, if you did not have a reservation, you could not get into the Redwood Grill. And if you did, you might still wait an hour before you could be seated, and people gladly waited that hour. And what made so the me look book, good. So I want to say this to you. The book, because you asked me the question about the book. The book came about because, A, we we had an exciting place. We did some exciting things. We had a cook who ended up being a killer and went to jail for it. And he did that while he was working at the grill. Oh, wow. Um, and so between the, the drama, that situation that we found out about our cook who was being sought after by the FBI... Between the the Will Smith of the world, the Gene Hackmans of the world, the Tyra Banks of the world who used to come to the grill, between operating this business that was a difficult business that we had never run. So my book is a business book at its core, Mm -hmm. but it has all the it has the drama. It has sex. You know, it has it has everything. It's got all of that, you know, um, together. And, And so the book is. Quite compelling and a great read. So if I were to put all of that in a sentence, so you had like uh, the Cosby's, Dallas, Sex Lives videotapes and, and The Wire before The Wire before was The, the wire. wire. was The Wire. That's it. <laughs> you That's you it. had a... Uh, so I've talked about risk. Mm-hmm. And, and so did you ever run a restaurant before? Did you work in food before that? What? Yeah, I was a waiter in the college. So that's the closest I came to working. You know, I worked in a restaurant, of course, but never owning it, never managing it. But, um, you know, part of it was that we underestimated what, what it really took. The restaurant business looks easy from the outside. The fact of the matter is of all the businesses I've touched and I've touched quite a few, of all the businesses I've touched, restaurant business is by far the most difficult to run. It is because it has so many different. I tell people this. I've spoken lots of times in public and, 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 and talked to folks about entrepreneurship. And when they talk to me about restaurants, I said, listen, that's one business that you really, really, really have to think a lot about before you go into it. Because there's so many moving parts. It's intricate. It's complicated. But it looks easy. It looks easy. Yes. yes. But so, it's different kinds of restaurants. Yeah. But I mean, for the kind we had, for the kind you had. Yeah. So, but again, so and then at that eventually closed, and then you. Well, we sold it. You it sold didn't close. It. Okay. Yeah, we, we sold, sold it. Yes. So you sold that, and yes. then you move on to. I uh, started a development company. We sold it in '98. In 2000, uh, me and another friend started a development. Well, really, an investment. We were really not developing then. We were buying real estate mostly apartment buildings. I had some money. He had some money. We put it together and started buying, um, investing in property. And it went extremely well. We were doing very well with it. Buying it low, renovating it, renting it. We had a bunch of properties. And what happened was we, from 2000 to 2006, is, in, is serious. From 2000 to 2006, we started getting into development, which is different than just investing. We were buying either large apartment buildings or vacant land and looking to put new buildings up. So now we're developing, right? Big difference. That's, that's like, 
the difference between, you know, playing a, a game of poker and, and going to a full craps table with, with, with a $10,000 hand. That's, okay. the, that's the difference, okay? So now we're doing development. By 2007, we were doing $180 million worth of development in Baltimore. That's something else you probably didn't know. We had five projects, three of them on the waterfront. Waterview, Overlook, I mean, you know, the Vistas at, at Druid Lake. We had a lot of projects. I, Me and my partner owned the Chateau on Druid Lake Park Drive, 47-unit apartment building, okay. which we bought. It was vacant. So, so we got into development, and what happened was the market crashed in 2008, 2009. I remember that. And when the market crashed, even though we weren't delinquent on a single loan because we had millions of dollars in lo on loans, the, the banks started calling the notes. That's it. They were like, look, the market is crashing. We're losing our, our butts, and mm. we need our money back. And we're like, well, we're not even doing We haven't even finished construction. We don't care. We wow. need our money back. When that happens, that's when your heart drops down to your feet because you know your life is about to change. And that's what happened in 2009 was the worst year of my life. So I went from a guy that was super, super successful, started this company from scratch, and we were doing very well to the market crashing and us, the bottom falling out. Basically me almost, well, no, I filed bankruptcy. So, I mean, but almost losing everything. Okay. Now, my bankruptcy was for millions of dollars, but I still had my home. Uh -huh. You know, some people lose everything. Wow. So would you say that that's probably, would that be your lowest that was absolutely my lowest. I never in my life thought about ending my life until maybe one time at my lowest point that year. I might have been like, why am I still here? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, okay. That's the lowest. That's the lowest. Tell me about the comeback, the recovery. The well, not, the, what? Because, I mean, you probably could have said, you know what? Look, I am not sticking. I'm not. I'm. I'm a play it safe. I'm gonna yeah. go get me office job. And that's what I, I got. Did. I did. I got college. That's what I did. Okay, but then <laughs> what made you? So let's talk about that next move because it's an important one. So you know, my wife was supportive. My my kids were there. I had something to live for. I had something to stand for. Okay, and ultimately, if I had done something like that, I would have let them down. Okay. okay. So that meant something to me. And that absolutely was part of my motivating factor to figure out a way to pull it together and get my life kind of back on a track that worked. Okay. So one of the things I did was I got an office job. I, I, I um, became the uh, business liaison for Baltimore city schools. All right. After a year of doing that, uh, I was asked by the CFO to run the food nutrition department because the current person who is director of food nutrition was leaving mm -hmm. the school system. So he asked me to take over the department. 700 employees, 16 people reported directly to me, a, a, a budget, an independent budget of about $40 million that I managed. So that was that's what got me back financially to be stable. So it helped me to stabilize. And I did that for, I guess, about two years. And then I left and went back into business. And I've been, that was 2013. But I'm saying, you could have said, hey, I'm sure it was probably a, a decent paying job. It was probably very, well, good, very, very, very well paying yeah, job. Yeah. 
So why go back out there? Why take the risk? Why even, why try? Well, because at the end of the day, I'm, a, I'm very highly motivated. So I'm a self-motivator and I'm highly motivated and I wasn't content with what I defined as success, right? So everybody in this world has to figure out what success means to them. And it's going to mean different things to different people, right? So we have to determine what success means to us and then figure out what's our best way of achieving that level of success, right? And so for me, because I was born in, in a pover- in an impoverished situation, I was born into poverty, I felt and taste and smelled poverty, right? And, wow. and, and once you've done that, at least for me anyway, like I never wanted to go back to that. And so I never felt comfortable and still don't feel comfortable to this day. I'm grinding like I'm broke, period. Every day I'll grind like I'm broke. So my point is that have I reached a certain level of success? Yes, mm-hmm. I have. But I'm not anywhere near where I want to be. And so that motivation right there is what drives me. But but you could have played it safe with a, a good paying job that most people were like, you know what? Yeah. I'm good. I can stay yeah. here. I can put my time in. I could probably hang around. I can retire good. Yeah. I got a pension. I got benefits. But you decided to... But you just define 90% of the world. I got you. And I that's got you. it. And guess what? I'm saying to you that for 90% of the world or for 80% or 70%, for whoever decides that that's what makes them happy, right? And that's how they define success. I'm saying I'm never going to be the person to knock that. I'm saying that more power to you. Just find it. So that so for some people, success could have been that particular job, doing that work for 30 years, retiring, and, and and just moving on into their golden years, retired. For me, that would not have defined success. I would have never been a happy individual. I would have never been happy with myself if I stopped there. Okay. All right. Um, you talked about perp- I mean, passion. Yes. Define purpose for me. Oh, man. Shoosh. Purpose. That's deep. That's deep because now we're really talking about something really outside of ourselves, right? Okay. When you talk about purpose, you, I don't know if a person in and of themselves can really just define their purpose. Like your purpose is really always bigger than you. It's always bigger than what you even think you might be here for. Okay. So, so purpose has this like sort of, you know, um, um, bigger than thou, bigger than me kind of idea to it. And so when I look at, when I, when I think about purpose and look at purpose, I try to think of it in more of a universal way in, in, in a broader sense, you know, whether you apply that to how God, you know, um, touches your life and feeds into your life and sees a path for you to contribute in some positive way or whether it's some other um, spirituality or, um, or, or something that, that, that might even, you know, be in, in a universal sense. Okay. So, uh, so purpose is bigger. I like that. It's it's bigger than you. That's right. Uh, So, when you combine combine passion and purpose, 
Right. I think, I think really, I think purpose, those are the things that we look for. That's the thing we, what, cause passion, like you said, you talk about when you're passionate about something, passion in my, in my opinion, makes you want to get up in the morning, even when you don't feel like getting up, it makes you keep going because, uh, people get on your nerves, uh, People will get in your way. You'll have naysayers, but you, when you got that drive of, of passion and you combine it with purpose, again, this is something bigger than me. This makes me try when everybody else could take the safe route. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with the safe route because somebody like, Hey, that's a good paying job. I'm assuming it's probably a couple figures, couple zeros behind it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Very comfortable. And some mm-hmm. people could like, Hey, yeah. I can give me a nice car, live yeah. in a nice house, yeah. my kids to go to whatever, and I can live comfortably. Mm-hmm. Um, we could get, you could be become content or you could become complacent. Right. But you decided, you know what? Been knocked down, but hey, I don't, I got successes and failures. I've tasted both. Um, do you believe that you can learn more sometimes in failing than you would if you would have succeeded. Yeah, the best lessons. The best lessons that I think life has to offer is through our failures. I really believe that. Wow. And and it's all about how we interpret failure and how we address failure and how we rebound from failure. Um, failure is temporary. And that's the thing that most people don't get. They they people tend to make failure permanent when it's never meant to be permanent. It's a temporary situation. You wow. fall, you get back up. That's you good fall wisdom. again, you get back up again. It don't matter. So and so the the but what you should learn though is this. Every time you fall, and you said this earlier, um I heard you you allude to this earlier. Every time you fall and you want to take that falling as some failure, that's okay. But you better get a lesson from it. Yeah. See, learning from the failure is what stops you from falling again in the same spot, at least. Exactly. So, so yeah, don't mean you, you won't fail again, but I don't, I don't, again. hopefully but I won't don't keep making that same mistake. Don't make the same mistakes. Don't make the same that's, mistakes. That's the, that's the critical thing. So I'm, here's, I'm a failure. Failing is not fatal. That's right. Sometimes we treat failure as, as a fatality. That's right. You know, failure is not a life sentence. Like, oh, I failed at this, and so I'm incarcerating myself. And sometimes we put ourselves in bondage, a false sense of bondage, because sometimes, like, I'm not, you know but what, you I'm know not why. going. But what? you know why? Why is that? What, the, the reason why is because we're worried about what other people think. It's other people's thought of us that make uh, that give us the feeling that we're that it's we're doomed because we failed at something. It's what mama thinks or brother thinks or my friends think because I opened up that store and it didn't work out. I had to close in six months because I tried to get the restaurant open and we couldn't get past the permitting stage, but I still got ten thousand dollars in it, so I failed. It's it's what other so what we have to stop doing is letting other people's idea and opinion about us drive where we are and who we are. It doesn't, it, it really does. It shouldn't even come into play. The, I call it the court of public opinion. Right. Some of us are in bondage to the court of public opinion. We right. are so overwhelmed and so consumed by what we think other people think. What are they going to say? I, I was, I was, I was a victim of the court of public opinion because 
I was like, you talk about getting up on stage. Right. I had fright of stage fright. Like I was doubly scared that wow. I, and me and look at me now, like I'm, I'm doing a podcast. I, I studied horribly, mm-hmm. but I was always a top producer in whatever I sold, which is amazing. Um, but you, you have to be able to embrace fear. Fear is a natural emotion. Yeah. Uh, we all get scared. I don't care who you are. We have our fearful moments. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm afraid, I've learned sometimes I just need to do it afraid. You know, I you uh, I remember my first time going to summer camp, and I saw a pool I never seen other than the little pool you used to put in your backyard with the the little aluminum ring in the liner. Let me just make it short. I jumped in this water because I asked the little kid next to me how deep the water was. He said it's about three feet. I calculated I'm more than three feet. It was 12. I drowned. Had to be resuscitated. Mm. I went swimming the next day. I went back to the pool the next day. You have to, I'm encouraged about, I'm not saying, I'm not minimizing fear, but sometimes you just got to do it afraid. Absolutely. So, So I'm asking. So treat it as a tool. Treat it as a tool. Can I learn? Okay, you know what? Stay away from that, and I need to go down here where the steps is. Exactly. (laughs) Well, Mike Tyson said something. Mike Tyson's got an interesting, a series of interesting TikTok um, interviews, and somebody was interviewing Mike, and they was like, Mike, you know, you go into the ring, you know, some of these guys are big guys, you crush them. You know, sometimes the first round, within seconds, you crush them. And Mike Tyson said, he, he said, he said, he said, how are you able to make that, you know, do that so often with such big guys? And Mike Tyson said, he said, because I was afraid. He says, I was afraid of getting my head beat in. <laughs> it was fear that I, drove I, me to, yes. to, to be the kind of fighter I was. He said, I was definitely afraid every time I walked into the ring. But look at him. He was a champion. He was a champion. Yeah. So he used fear to what? To his advantage. Exactly. Uh, so the court of public opinion, I'm, I'm going to say this. I've said this before. Um, uh, look, I don't believe if you don't have at least one or two haters and you probably have a couple, I would say a, a, a drawer full. <laughs> <laughs> I believe if you don't have at least one or two haters, you're not doing something right. Right. You, if, if you don't have somebody hating, if you're not, if you don't have some haters, I think you, 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 you coloring too, too much inside the lines. Mm-hmm. I think that because I think you have to try. I think people don't only talk about things they can't have or be. And I think Rod, I, I look at you. I look at again. I don't know all the stories, but I know that has to be just because you're willing to take risk. Right. At some risk are not going to work out. Yeah. You know, but I, I see you and, and I don't, y'all know, I don't like to get too preachy, but it says, you know, a man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. And it is in that willingness and that desire and that passion to get back up again. Now I was told this, you know, motivation, because some of us need to be motivated. Motivation gets you going. Habits keep you going. Good habits. And so tell me some good habits. If somebody's out there right now trying to just, I got motivation. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to challenge my fear. Tell me just 
some habits that work for you. So before I address that, I want to step back a little bit. Okay. I want to go back to something you said. We talked about some failure, some success I've had in, in the real estate business, and then a failure when the market crashed. But let's talk about, before we get to those habits, let's talk about now. Because it's an important segue, right? Mm-hmm. I could have easily, and I think at one point I said, I'm never going to get back into real estate. There were streets, like I have a project called Waterview Overlook, right down by Cherry Hill. It overlooks the Middle Branch River. We bought 10 acres. We were doing 120 units under construction when the, when the economy crashed. Wow. Okay. That project was a f- about a $40 million project, I think. Okay. Mm-hmm. We were going to do very well. It was 120. It was 60 condos, 60 townhomes. All right. Um, now, after the... After the economy crashed, and I was losing everything, all right? I could not drive down Waterview Avenue for two years, maybe wow. maybe three. I couldn't, if I was driving and I had to go across it, I would do everything in my power to go around it. I could not go down that street. That's how deep it was wow. for me okay. emotionally because I was pouring my heart into these deals. Everything I had was on the table, and it was right there, right? And that was just one of the spots. So there's other areas in the city literally where mentally I had to drive around. Okay. Now that said today, I'm now getting ready with my partners to break ground on a 104 unit development mixed use on park Avenue, just closed a $25 million loan. What does that mean? It means we get back up, get back up again. Gotta get back up. I'm. And so if I have any message here, This is my message. This is the core of my message is that no matter how many times you fall, no matter how many times you think you fail, that failure is temporary, not permanent. And you just keep getting back up. That's the main message that I want to make sure I leave any of your, your listeners, you know, with that's the message. So now to go to habits, there are important habits that I think a, a person has to um, form in order to have a degree, any degree of success, you know? And I think it's important for, um, for people to um, establish a set of good habits around, um, around committing a certain degree of time, about making sure that they've written down their their their, their, their dreams and their goals and then putting those goals and dreams in a place that they can see them and experience them and feel them on a daily basis and to do something every day that moves them closer to their goals. I'm also writing book number two called Blackie. It's a whole different kind of book. It's, f- it's fiction instead of nonfiction. Mm-hmm. It's going to touch on a bunch of different things, race, racism, colorism. Every day, I try to do something towards that goal. I write a little. I do something towards the goal. So there are important habits that a person has to develop if they're going to be successful. Consistent. Be consistent. Wow. Show up. Okay. Uh, look, I, I don't. I think that's a good place uh, to start to wrap up. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm speechless, man, because like. Did y'all hear me say when every time I talk to him, he working on a project now and he 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 talks about millions of dollars like they just a couple dollars. Like, I, you know, I've 
be glad to keep four hundred dollars in the bank. And he talking about forty million. And, and he, you, you uh, talking about Waterview? You said how many units? That was one hundred and twenty units. Man, I'm still trying to get to Cherry Hill. Man, I broke down in Westport. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm gonna have to just drive down there because, like, to say my my frat brother, my friend was a was, but I I applaud you because I think it takes perseverance. It takes tenacity. I'm going to use one of your words that you, I remember the first time you said this, it takes touch tickler fortitude. (laughs) It takes touch tickler fortitude. That's right. That's the NIV version. (laughs) Sometimes you just have to have that drive and you don't have stop caring about what other people think. That's right. Uh, You've heard me say this on Facebook. Stop sharing your dreams with people who are dream killers. Right. You're sharing your vision. You talked about a vision, writing it down as a life coach. One of the things I talk about is right. You need to have a dream. You have a have get a vision board. You need to be able to vision see board. it because I think if you can see it, you can believe it, and then you can have it. That's you right. can achieve it. That's right. But and people talk about I got a goal. And so, like, my salespeople used to come in, like, okay, what's your goal for this month? I want to do X. Is it written down? They're like, no. That's not a goal. That's a thought. That's a thought. That's That's a thought. Write it down. Write the vision. Make it plain. And then you got to start seeing it. But, man, I I, I applaud you. Hey, look, uh, I want to, can I get invited to your building we uh, have a groundbreaking. Your groundbreaking, we're gonna, man. We're gonna, hey, we're, we are going to have a groundbreaking. Hey. We haven't planned it yet, but we are. We're getting close. To I, it. Look, I don't even need a golden shovel. You can get me one of them little Tonka toys, little Fisher Price shovel. I'll be like on the side. You'll but man, I applaud you. And hopefully, someone's listening. Somebody out there that you're sitting there, and you know that you have you have a passion. You believe that there's a purpose, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, like right now. I believe I'm walking in one of the purposes that God has for me. And I'm going to tell you, it's such a joy. It's such a pleasure to when you think you've identified that purpose and that passion, when they line up, when they, they intersect, up, man, that's I, power. I, it's power. That's, that's power. the, that's, that's the word. Thank yes. you. And, and so man, I'm looking forward to the book. I'm looking forward to after offline. We will get some more Will Smith stories. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> um, uh, man, if I was just tell you, I used to do skating parties. Remember back uh, in college? Of course I remember. And, and I used to have citywide lace skate. Right. Jada used to dance. Remember, we used to take the skates off and have a dance contest? Yeah. Jada won my dance contest. Oh, wow. Now, she probably wouldn't know me and probably right. I would get slapped. Right. But, <laughs> but anyway, man, but go way back. And I've had, again, many successes, failures, but we keep trying. You said you That's get right. knocked down, but you get back up again. I'm going to stop right there, y'all. I applaud you, Rod. I'm looking forward to hanging out with you. And um, this will not be your last time because you're going to come back and tell me after you close, after this uh, $40 million deal get done, we're going to work on the $100 Man, I just want to hang out with you and just say I know you. I'm glad to call you my friend, my frat brother. God bless you. Absolutely. Thank you so much.